Oh, so good. I love worshiping. Love worshiping God. What a, great, uh, what a great experience to be together with God's people, to worship. I mean, this to me is one of the highlights of my week, is to get together, to just experience the presence of God, and to be with, uh, to be with you. And if you're here watching online at our online campus, we are super excited you're a part of this as well. Uh, we're in a series called Scattered, and I felt pretty scattered last week. I went to Arizona, went to visit my family there, and uh, we ended up renting an Airbnb, checked in and checked directly out because it was pretty gross and stinky. And then we went to another ho- went to a hotel and then stayed overnight, but then that didn't work out because of a bunch of COVID stuff. And then we ended up going to another hotel and then the room didn't work out. We switched three different rooms until we settled in. And I felt pretty scattered last week, but I'll tell you what the highlight was for me last week was like watching the online service and seeing people baptized. That was cool. I mean, baptisms to me, they just reflect that God is still transforming lives. He's, the gospel message is still uh, powerful and changing our lives. And I love that. Matter of fact, baptism, if you, if you wanted to be baptized, but you haven't been baptized yet, you can get baptized next month. Matter of fact, the third Sunday of September, we're going to do baptisms again, and so you can sign up for that right on your phone right now. And uh, so baptisms to me are powerful because it's a stake in the sand where it is a public declaration that I am a Jesus follower, I'm going to follow him, and God is going to be the one that directs my life. He's number one in my life. And really, that is the heart of worship. Worship goes beyond just singing some songs. It goes beyond giving money. It goes beyond just serving. Worship is a a posture of the heart that says, God is my Lord, and he is the one I'm going to live my life for, and I'm going to serve him and him alone. Uh, You know, we're going to look this morning at Acts chapter 18 and 19, where the gospel goes into the city of Ephesus. And people were worshipers there. The problem is they weren't worshiping the true God. They were worshiping idols. And so Ephesus was this crazy place. I'll tell you about more more about it in just a moment. But um, idols are something that weren't just way back then. It wasn't just an Old Testament thing where, you know, in the Ten Commandments, God said, don't worship idols, worship me alone. That was a big deal. God is a jealous God. He wants a relationship with you and with me. And uh, so idols aren't just like little statues that we hang on our, that put up on our bookshelf. Idols form in our heart. And idols can affect us today, yes, even in the 21st century. An idol is anything that we trust in, that we rely on for our happiness for our security above God. Anything and anywhere where we're doing that, uh, that becomes an idol. John Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And the reason for that is that we are made to worship. And so if we don't worship God and place him in the first place in our life and trust him, we will end up drifting and gravitating to worship our career, worship money, worship a person, worship a relationship, worship a drug, we will end up serving something or somebody other than God. So let's look at Acts 18 and 19, story of the gospel going into Ephesus. 
In Acts 18, we're going to cover this super quick, like really fast. In Acts 18, what we see is the initial kind of bringing in of a church planting team into the city of Ephesus. And it was made up of just ordinary everyday people. It wasn't an apostle, wasn't like a super uh, disciple. It, it was just normal people who loved Jesus who went into this community, which was a tough place to reach. And they just begin to talk to people about Jesus. And uh, two of them were business people. They were a husband-wife team, Aquila and Priscilla. And they were tent makers. And they were somehow had formed this relationship with Paul, the apostle, who was also a tent maker. But Priscilla and Aquila are there. And then they bring into their team Apollos. And Apollos is an academic. He was a teacher. And uh, he came and was a part of this team. So kind of blue-collar, white-collar group of people in this little team that were then in Ephesus preaching the gospel. Now it says in verse 24 of 18, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures because he was a teacher, he was an academic, and he was able to accurately expound on the scriptures, though he didn't fully understand them all, what he did know, he taught really well. And uh, let me tell you about Ephesus, because this is a crazy place. Ephesus was the richest city and the richest region in the Roman Empire. It was, a, it was the place of the primary port, so a lot of the trade just came in and out of that place. It was a cosmopolitan place. It was multi-ethnic. It had the world's largest temple dedicated to the Greek goddess Artemis. And uh, Artemis, female goddess, and kind of the hunter goddess, she was the one that was to protect the city. She was the one to prosper the city. And uh, you might know her as well by Diana, which was the Roman goddess equivalent. And so depending on the version of the scripture you're reading, it might refer to it as Artemis or Diana. And people in this city, they were crazy about worshiping this particular goddess. This temple that they would worship at was four times bigger than the Parthenon. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this statue of Artemis was actually formed and created and carved out of a meteorite that had landed in the city. She was the protector of the city. So Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila... They're there, they're doing the work, the hard work of planting a church, and maybe God has called one of you to plant and be a part of a plant team. And I've done that a couple times, and it's awesome. So always stay open to that, because God just uses our ordinary lives in these ventures. But let's read about this adventure. It's pretty crazy. Paul, the apostle, he shows up. He shows up in this team, and in verse 11 of chapter 19 in Acts, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or face masks or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of weird. I mean, we don't read that particular account happening anywhere else in scripture. It's not really the pattern I advise. I, I had a guy one time in one of the life groups 
that, uh, you know, he had this shawl he had got from Israel, and they had sold it to him as a prayer cloth. And he really believed it was a special, had special powers. He would go into various life groups, and he would offer to pray for people and wrap them up in this shawl and pray for them because it had magical, I mean, healing powers. And I'm like, dude, no. And he would point to this passage like, yes, Paul did it. I'm like, well, you're not the Apostle Paul. Okay, and it only happened one time in scripture. So it's not the pattern. Don't be weird. Get on your meds. Um, <laughs> I didn't really say that part, but verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, these are seven sons of Skeva which is this traveling itinerant Ghostbusters group that would go and they would pray over people to exercise demons. But they didn't know Jesus, obviously, because what they did was they saw Paul having extraordinary results in, in casting demons out. And just people would take their handkerchief and, and just get it on the sweat of his brow and they would go and things would happen. And these guys were like, whoa, that's awesome. Let me try that. So in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches is how they worded it. And these demons, they jump on the guy. As a matter of fact, they start with this. They say, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who the heck are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. In other words, kicked their butts, right? And overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded, embarrassed, right, and schooled. Let me, let me just say, if you are a spiritual person, but you don't know Jesus, be careful. I mean, you can hurt people, and you can get hurt by tra trying to, you know, kind of leverage off of some kind of a God thing or you know, Jesus that my parents knew or whatever. It's in our relationship with Jesus, that personal relationship that each and every one of us have access to. But it's in the relationship that we know Jesus and we're known by Jesus. It's in that place that we have humble authority to do the work of Jesus in people's lives, to pray for the sick and to believe God for the healing of people that are demonically oppressed. And so it starts with knowing Jesus. Verse 17 says, and this be, became known. I mean, this story of these guys getting beat up, the story of Paul and the miracles, the story of the gospel, it starts spreading throughout all of Ephesus and even into parts of Asia. It says, they became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their occult practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, and they burned them. I mean, this is a crazy awakening that has happened in this city that had these demonic undertones going on in their city, and false worship, and idol worship happening and people are like yeah here you can have my harry potter books you can have whatever burn it burn it burn it and it says it was worth fifty thousand pieces of silver which is about seven million dollars i mean this is shaking their economy 
People are noticing that something's going on, not just in a church, something's going on in the city. People by the droves are leaving the occult practices and idol worship and this temple that everybody served in, and now they're becoming Jesus followers. So the word of the Lord, it says in verse 20, continue to increase and prevail mightily. Well, it gets the attention of one particular businessman. He was a silversmith by the name of Demetrius. And he's pretty ticked off because his profits have gone way down. People used to buy these silver statues from him and his bros that they made these these various statues. And the economy wasn't just built on these little idols. It was also travelers that would come through. It was hotels and motels. It was businesses. It was food that was being sold. All of it took a huge hit because of the gospel was drawing people to Christ. In verse 25, Demetrius gets his his guys together and he says, men, you know that from this business that we've all had and we've all experienced, we've all been sharing on, we've earned our wealth. This is our career. This is our wealth. This is our retirement account. And you... And, and you see and hear in verse 26 that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands, human hands, are not gods. What a concept. I mean, you would think that's a no-brainer, right? Like if you can make a god yourself, like build a bear, that's not your creator. That's not the true God. And yet we live in a day today, in in the 21st century, where people make gods all the time. We manufacture them. We, we, We make gods in the image we want him to be. We want him to behave. We want him to only be loving and never do anything that we don't like. We want him, we we create the Santa Claus God. People do it all of the time. Kind of a little bit of this, two parts of Oprah, and one part of Bible, and a little part of universalism, and some new age, and put it together, and boom, got my God, the God I love, and the God I believe in. See, we don't do that, right? Yeah, we do it all of the time. And we say things like, well, my God would never do that. See, anytime you develop and manufacture a God in your own image, you custom what, make what you want God to be so you get to understand him and he behaves the way you want, that is not a God worthy of your worship. Demetrius points out this problem in verse 27. He says, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing And that she may be even be deposed from her magnificence. Demetrius is stirring up the crowd, especially the retailers in in the community. And he gathers in this huge temple, this amphitheater, which in in that day was one of the biggest in anywhere. And it was held 25,000 people. It's like double the size of the Spokane arena. And they're all there and they're shouting. It's a riot at the top of their lungs. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. Now that would intimidate you. 
And Paul wants to go in there and he wants to speak to him, but his friends, his disciple friends, said, don't go in there, you will die. Now, he listened, thankfully. Verse 32 says, some cried out one thing, some cried out another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. That sounds like a modern-day riot right there. Finally, the crowd disperses, and Paul and his friends live to tell the story. It was this showdown between the gospel message and people coming to faith in Christ and the false worship, idol worship. And some left that day worshipers of Jesus. Others left that day just as committed as ever to worshiping their idols. And every one of us watching today, every one of us in this room today, get to make the same decision. Who will we serve? Who will I follow? Who will I trust in? What will I trust in? Well, let's look at the difference out of the story of the gospel message versus idols. Idols promise a life of security and joy, happiness, apart from God. That's what Artemis did. She was the protector and the prosperer of the city. And with her, if you served her, if you obeyed her and believed in her, then you were guaranteed security and joy. So how about for us? What do you trust in? Who do you trust in? What are you hoping? What are you believing? What are you thinking is going to make you happy? Is it if I one day just get married and I find the right person and that person will make me happy? And those of you who are married go, maybe not. Right? A person can't do that for you. Um, it could be any, for me in my life, it was money and success. I just thought if I, if I, if I work hard and I achieve enough and I make enough money, then I'll be secure, I'll be safe. People can't tell me what to do. And then if I add some substances into that mix as well, which I did, then, and you can pick the substance of your choice, then I'll be happy too because when I'm down, it'll pick me up. When I need to go to bed, it can bring me down and it, it can help keep me happy and not depressed while I'm pursuing my idol worship. What, what is it for you? See, idols can be good things. Idols are not bad things. They don't always have to become addictions or, you know, drugs or things like that. Idol could be that boyfriend, that girlfriend. An idol can be that wonderful, amazing boat that you own. It can be a house. It can be a dream. It can be a career. It can be the education that you think validates you. It's anything that we value more than we value God. Anything can become an idol in our heart. Idols promise a life of security, right, and joy, and happiness apart from God. The gospel, though, says the true God alone gives life. That he made you. He's the only one who can actually fill your soul in a way that gives you joy in spite of difficult circumstances. He is the only one who really understands you, who can meet you in those deepest needs of where you're lonely. He is the one that you have been created in his image, and he wants you to become who he has made you to be, not who this world is trying to form you to be. And he 
is life. Matter of fact, 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's very simple. Those who have Jesus have that life, the life abundant that Jesus promised. Those that do not, it's not that they're not alive and living and pursuing things. They are, but you'll never truly be satisfied in your soul. God's love is faithful. We sang about that. It's tender. It's more fulfilling than any romance. His promises are more secure and more reliable than any amount of money. His presence is more life-sustaining than any creature comfort, comfort you could enjoy. His attention and affections are better than the praise of man. Second thing, idols need to be protected. This is super interesting to me. Demetrius says, we need to protect Artemis. Now, wait a minute. Artemis was the one that was supposed to protect the city. And yet, the irony here is that Demetrius is getting everybody stirred up like, we got to protect Artemis. She might be deposed of her spectacular meteorite magnificence. What is it that you feel in your life you got to obsess over protecting? Is there something, somebody, something that it could be your reputation? Where, man, I can't, I can't imagine not being looked up to. And therefore, because of that, you know, I always have to make every right decision because I need to be perceived as wise and smart and intelligent. I can never receive criticism because that, that would demolish me. And so we get super hyper-defensive. You, you can be incredibly hyper-protective of your reputation. But you could also be hyper-protective of your looks, your weight, the clothes you wear. See, whatever it is that we spend more time obsessing over, thinking about, that takes our time and attention and money and energy, those are the things that we can become endangered of idolizing. Even as parents, I, I mean, I fall into this category. I think most parents, at one point in your life, you fall where your children can become like little idols. If you become too overprotective with your kids, where every experience has to be wonderful for little Jimmy, he's always right, coach is always wrong, teachers are always wrong, you know, every environmental variable has to be controlled. See, helicoptering isn't just a bad way to parent, but it also can be, create this obsession in your heart where you are the one that always has to be there for them to bail them out of every circumstance and situation. I'm not saying that as a parent you shouldn't protect your kids, especially when they're young. But I'm saying that we have to be honest in our heart to say, have, have my kids become this obsession for me? Uh, I have a friend, a, a dear friend, who her husband really just, she's just had a very difficult marriage for many years. And her husband wasn't there for her emotionally. And she turned to her two boys, who are now in their 20s, and, and made them kind of the center of her life. And meeting her emotional needs and the void that was there. And it's super sad because it can happen even with people with people. If money is our God, then we're always worried we won't have enough, right? Always worried about the future. And when money becomes our idol, you know one of the ways that we know that is that we struggle to give. 
Because when you give and you give regularly and you give generously, it's a huge statement of trust to go, God is the one I'm trusting. Because I look at this little mountain, I don't have that much. And when we, when we, that's one of the benefits of, for me at least, when I entered into the regular giving of, of tithes and offerings to God, is it just kept me free because it was one of my personal struggles that it kept me free from that becoming too important in my life. If it can be anything, right? Idols need to be protected. The gospel, though, the true God doesn't need my protection. He doesn't need your protection. Why? Because he is protecting you. King David said it this way. He said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength, my rock, my refuge, my fortress. The Lord, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See, God is the one who protects us. Lastly, idols demand sacrifices to keep them happy. The whole system in Ephesus was built on appeasing Artemis, making sure she wasn't displeased. And idols are like that. They say, if you want me, you are going to have to sacrifice for me. When a guy cheats in his business, sacrifices his integrity, often it's not because he's a compulsive liar. It's just he needs to sacrifice his integrity in order to get the money that his heart desires. The idol of success is never satisfied. It wants a piece of your family, and then it wants your health, and it will want your integrity. Idols dominate. They eventually take control of our lives if we let them. They disappoint you too because they always promise more than they deliver. And they will eventually deform you because we become like what we worship. They'll warp you. you we end up losing our, the uniqueness that God gave to us. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, Those who make idols... Become like them, and so will those who trust in them. We shape the idol, but the idol ends up shaping us. And so God wants to be first place in my life and your life. And if Jesus were to speak to you today, to kind of say, hey, this is, this is like he did with the rich young ruler, and, and come to you and say, hey, I want you to leave that and follow me, what would it be for you? What would it be for you? What do you need to give up? Where is it that you're trusting in something or somebody too much? You've given too much trust to that thing, to that relationship or to that career path or to that habit that you've developed, and it's become like an idol, and it wants to own you. Idols demand sacrifices to keep them happy, but here's the good news. The gospel, the true God, offers his own sacrifice. Isn't that great news? See, idols say, if you fail me, I will take you down. I will destroy you. And Jesus said, you did fail me, and I love you anyways. You have sinned, and I have gone to the cross to sacrifice my own life for you. See, we can't earn good grace with God. We can't be good enough people. We can't appease the Almighty in heaven we have to just accept the sacrifice God has made on our behalf. That he recognized, he knew 
you can't make your way to me. I will make my way to you. And I'll send my one and only son to die on a cross for you. Jesus, as he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, it is finished, paid in full. You see, there is no other God like that that came to this earth for you specifically to die for you that you might live. When I look at Jesus, I'm able to say that is what God is like. Christ, the scripture teaches us, is the visible image of the invisible God. I love that, that when we look at Jesus, we're looking at God. God's son dying on that cross is the payment, the full payment for my sin, your sin, and for the world's sin. Here's the bottom line. God is passionate about a relationship with you. God loves you in a way that is really hard for me to even imagine. And because of his love, because of his sacrifice, because of his passion for a relationship with us, his creation, that he says, don't worship lesser gods. Don't go after the synthetic. Don't go after the imitation. I'm offering you, God says, a relationship. And when we look at Jesus, we see God. And that's why we can come to him and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to say yes to you. And even as a follower of Christ, we can, we can drift away from that first place that he has in our heart. And so I want to just spend a, a couple moments praying and just asking God, Lord, is there anything here? See, nobody can tell you that you're worshiping some idol. I can't do that. Nobody else can do that. The Holy Spirit can. And that's where we need to just say, Lord, is there anybody or anything that has become too important to me, that I'm relying on for my security, for my joy, for my happiness, and, or for my future, and that I need to just center myself back on who you are and what you've done for me and on your faithfulness. So can we pray right now and invite you to do that? Just talk to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we come to you and just say thank you that you are the true God, that you came to this earth for, for me. You died on a cross for me. And God, you are creator, heaven and earth. And you are worthy of worship. You are the only one worthy for me to bow my knee and to worship you with all that's in me. So Lord, would you please search my heart? And you can ask the Lord to do that for you. Search my heart, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any place, any person, any relationship, any job, any money, any stuff. Anything at all, Lord, that I might be placing above you, putting my hope in. Where it's become something it shouldn't be. Let's listen right now. Would you just listen in your heart? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you.
And if God has brought something or somebody to mind, would you just put that on the altar metaphorically and just say, Lord, here it is. Here it is, Lord. You've identified it. And Lord, I want to turn away from that right now. It's an imitation of the real thing. And that person or that drug or that career path or that education or that money or none of those things can truly satisfy my soul, Lord. And I just want to turn away and turn to the, to the, to the wellspring of my salvation. I want to turn to living water. I want to turn back to you in this moment, God. And just say, Lord, please have all of me, all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my career, all of my future. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you keep drawing me back to you and that when I fail you, Lord, you don't dispose of me, but yet you love me and call me and draw me close. Thank you for that, God. Let's worship. I'm caught up in your presence And I just want to sit here at your feet And I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to for blessing Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do and I just want you cause I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions, I'm sorry. When I just sang another song, take me back to where I started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry. When I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry. When I forgot that you're enough, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And I'm caught up in your presence. just want to sit here at your feet, and I'm caught up in this holy moment, never want to leave, oh, I'm not here for blessings, 
I'm caught up in your presence And I just want to sit here at your feet And I'm caught up in this holy moment And I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessing Jesus, you don't owe me anything More than anything that you can do I just want you Lord, we just come before you You said in your hands is the fullness of joy in your presence that you will draw close to us to reveal yourself more and more to continue giving us new fresh steps Lord it takes so we can walk with you we just pray that you'll lead us in Jesus name Amen Thank you again for joining us this morning we're so glad that you are here if anything from the message stood out or you're in need of some prayer we do have pastors who are standing by looking to pray for you so please hit the prayer button at the bottom of the page and they'll reach out to you and pray with you. 
Yes, and we want to see you get connected at North Church if you are not already. So click the link above to get connected or follow up with us at northchurch.net. See ya. Bye.